Okay, well, um, I was given the, the whole of chapter uh, 15 to, to speak on, and, and there is a, a little bit too much in that chapter. Uh, so today I'm going to have a look at uh, just verse 16 to 41, which is still a large chunk, uh, and there's more than I can possibly uh, share in this uh, section here. But um, I want to start off with a question um, and see whether you can relate to this situation. Um, have you ever been in a position where you have the power to do something, but because of mercy, you choose not to? If you're in a position of where people are taunting you, maybe mocking you, but you choose to walk away. Now, that reminds us very much of what Jesus goes through in this passage. Um, but I remember myself being in that position uh, as a boy, uh, and occasionally uh, I've been in that position a couple of times uh, as a boy and also as an adult. Uh, but there is one yeah, particular time where I remember very, very clearly um, I was being um, mocked and insulted and made fun of, and I knew that if I retorted, uh, I knew that if I, I spoke back, that I could uh, actually reduce the person who was doing that to me to tears because I, I knew plenty about that person uh, that, uh, and they were striking out in anger, um, but I had promised that I would not. Um, and I can still remember the sting of their words and I can still remember the rising anger in my chest and just the difficulty of controlling myself not to spit out hurtful replies, uh, the things that were in my mind and on the tip of my tongue. In that situation, my emotions were so strong, uh, and I, as I said, I still remember them even so many years later uh, today. Um, and it was only years afterwards that I realized that, uh, that what I did was the right thing to do. And I, I was furious at the time because I, I wanted to speak, but I, I was, I'd promised. Um, and later did I realize that what I had planned to say, what I wanted to say would have been very wrong and would have damaged my uh, relationship with that person um, quite severely. Um, and I'm glad that I didn't do it. Uh, today we're going to be looking at that very situation that um, that Jesus was in, where he was, despite being innocent of any sin, he was beaten and mocked and scorned, and then he went to his death in silence. This is the man who had known creation, the man who had witnessed uh, earth, and humanity throughout time had seen the Jews, his people, <clears throat> and saved them time and time again. This is the man who could have called upon legions of angels and knew and loved each, each person, even those who, many of those who mocked him. So we're going to read this very familiar passage um, uh, that we, yeah, we probably already heard plenty about. Um, looking at Mark uh, 15, 
Starting from verse 16, we're reading the ESV version. Uh, starting from verse 16. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail the king of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country uh, the father of Alexander and Rufus to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them. Casting lots for them to decide which or what each should take. And it was the third hour and they crucified him. And the inscription of the charges against him read, the king of the Jews. And with him, they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And to those who passed by derided, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads saying, aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him um, to one another saying, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may believe, see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour came, had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabbatani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the passers, uh, by, bystanders, hear, bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled uh, a sponge with sour water, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw in the, this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this was the son of God. And there were, also women, there were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there, was also many, uh, there were also many other 
women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Let me pray again. Father, your, your death is the key. Your death allows us access to heaven, to assurance, this assurance of salvation, to knowing that we, that we are saved. It has been done once and for all, not because of anything that we've done, but because you love us. Lord, help us to realize the impact of that and live our lives accordingly, to change and continue to change, to make us more like you, Help us to know and rejoice in that salvation. Take it to heart and be willing to share that with others and to live it out as a witness to others. In Jesus' name, amen. This scene is so familiar to us, isn't it? We've looked upon it many, many times. And as Christians, we should know that this is central to our faith. Without Jesus, without his death, we have nothing. It's why whenever I talk to evangelists, they say that the topic of conversation needs to come back to this. All other issues are secondary. You see, you can debate about evolution versus creation, Free will versus predestination, objective versus subjective, truth or good and evil. But if you want to make headway uh, with people understanding Christianity, understanding uh, their own sinfulness and the need for a savior, you need to move the conversation to this single point in history where God in human form sacrificed himself to restore us into a relationship with us, with him. Uh, it is the ultimate act of love and also the ultimate offense to many. Most people uh, hearing this will say, I'm good, I'm, I'm good enough, I don't need saving, I don't need anyone else. They'll laugh at us saying it is a crutch. Uh, it is a you know, it's, it's fantasy, it's fairy tales, and all sorts of other things. So before I, I look at Jesus, I mainly want to be looking uh, at the other people in this passage. So let's look at verse 29, right at the bottom of this uh, section here. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads, saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. And, uh, well, this is those who are passing by. See, you see, they weren't, weren't just, they weren't just there for the spectacle. They, some of them didn't, probably didn't even know who Jesus was or didn't really know much about him, but they'd heard plenty from other people. So they were picking up these comments from other people. 
to Christians, these, you know, to put it into a modern day setting, these are the people who say, you don't believe in that nonsense, do you? And they will start mocking us about the supernatural. Show me you can walk on water. That's ridiculous. That breaks the laws of physics. You don't believe in fairies as well, or Santa, or the Easter Bunny. And as they mock, there is no talking to them. But also, these were us, though many of these people have become part of the church. There are among them those who would have got to know us as Christians, would have got to know the Christians uh, at the time and throughout history, seen the witnesses of their lives and wondered and perhaps asked what they had or that they knew uh, that something gave them purpose and peace and decided to come and uh, find out for themselves. These are those people who should be pitied because they don't know any better. And perhaps we can change their minds with our lives, uh, witness, and later words. Because I don't think anyone gets, in fact, no one gets converted without hearing the word at some point. So it's all well and good us living our lives uh, in witness to him. But if we don't speak, then they never hear. We've been doing that in, we did that in Romans. How can they know if they've never heard? So these are those people, putting it in a modern day setting, those people who are mockers. Perhaps that isn't the time to talk to them. Perhaps it is. Um, God puts you in those situations and he puts the words into your mouth to speak. But I know that often if they are in the mood to mock, uh, then that may be not the time. There has been, have been one or two people, uh, I remember a student who was saying, Dawkins says this, you don't believe in that, do you? Uh, blah, blah, blah. And I said, are you actually interested in finding out what my reply is or, or not? And he actually stopped and he said, okay then. And that was nice, but more often than not, they're not. And they're not in that position to, to hear those words and to hear your words. And I don't know whether that, that student ever became a Christian, but I was able to share the gospel with him that day. And that was, uh, and this was back in uh, England, uh, because he asked. Um, then let's have a look at back at the passage in verse 31. We have the chief priests and the teachers of the law. This would have included the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those who challenged Jesus, those who saw Jesus' miracles day by day and heard his teaching and continued to question him. And we saw that they plotted to kill him because he challenged their position. This is those who Jesus was talking about when he quoted Isaiah in John uh, 12. In John 12, verse 40, he, uh, Jesus says, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. When I first heard this passage, uh, when I heard, first heard these 
which were Jesus' words. I was outraged at this. And that's strange, thinking I, this was when I was in university and I'd been a Christian for a little while, uh, for a good few years, and I was outraged at this. I was thinking, how can God, who is the very definition of love, not want to save people? Because if you read this right, you can, you can see he has blinded their hearts and hardened their, blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. If he did not blind them or harden their hearts, they would turn and be saved. So I went away and read the commentaries and I researched and I talked to people about this passage. And what I realized was that these people, they knew their scriptures. They'd heard the gospel. They'd seen Jesus. They'd seen all the evidence for Jesus and they'd rejected him. It brings to mind the other time in the, the Old Testament where it says that God hardens somebody's heart. And those of you who know your Old Testament know, well know that Pharaoh in Egypt, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And again, you may think that's unfair. But if you look in Exodus, it says that Pharaoh hardens his heart. It says it six times. And after six plagues, where the evidence is so clear and Pharaoh you know, starts to go to say, uh, I'll let your people go. And then he hardens his heart. It says that he hardens his heart. You see, God is patient. But there comes a point when you reject God. When God will no longer give any more chances. And then God will start to use those people for his greater glory. As God used Pharaoh for his greater glory because it showed that God was greater than the greatest uh, nation in the world at that time and their gods. And that God used these leaders of Israel here for his greater glory, for the crucifixion. We know that at the cross, God's glory is greatest. Now, the Apostle Paul uh, shows us he's an example that even the hardest cases can be turned. So if we think that there is a hard case, we should keep praying for them. I know that there are so many people who are praying for Richard Dawkins. And we know actually, I, I hear, I don't know the, the, the certainty of it, but I hear that his brother is a Christian as well. And we don't know whether he will, God will use that for his greater glory. But I also know that his, uh, yeah, his, um, his words have actually uh, turned many atheists off his arguments. Because it's all rhetoric. That's what I hear. It's all rhetoric. And there are some great uh, um, arguments with John Lennox online, where John Lennox uh, does very well against him. And I would recommend if you're kind of into apologetics to go and, go and watch those on YouTube. That's uh, Richard Dawkins versus John Lennox. But we know here from this example that 
the loudest and most vehement voices against Christianity, God has a plan for them, even in their persecution, for his greater glory. So, on to the last group, which you see in verse 40. We see the women who are looking on in silence. You see, that's us. That's those who believe. And I'm prepared for people to disagree, uh, but I do not believe that Jesus' death is an opportunity for, uh, for celebration. His resurrection, yes, but his death is, should be a time for solemnity, for sobriety, and for reflection. So my, my last church uh, would play music during communion, the communion. And I raised this as a concern. And uh, because whilst dwelling on the death of Jesus, whilst dwelling, thinking about his sacrifice for our sins, we, it's, it's difficult to do that when there's music and especially when there's someone singing. It was great to listen to those words that Bersady uh, and her family, the Edwardses, were, were singing this morning, and it helps us focus on Jesus. But when we are thinking about the forgiveness that he has given us, the sins that we have that need forgiveness, then uh, I think that music and especially, um, especially words are unhelpful. It is a time for looking at the cross and begging for forgiveness. Now, there's not much uh, more I can say about Jesus' death that I haven't already said and hasn't been said in the last couple of weeks moving up to it. We know that it's one of the most brutal and torturous deaths known in history, and yet it spends very little time talking about his death. You can see here just a couple of verses. It spends as much time dealing with these mockers. Watching this death and knowing Jesus would have been enough for anyone to run from this. Knowing that you were going to this death would have turned anyone. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, it was the was the God's cup of wrath, the outpouring of judgment on our sin that Jesus asked to be excused from. It wasn't this the beating or the mockery or the excruciating torture of and then death, but it was the outpouring of God's wrath and judgment on our sin, the sin that you know, we deserve to take the judgment for, that he went silently and obediently. And it's such a brief description. Three hours of darkness when our sin came on him. And finally, the curtain of the temple was ripped uh, open from top to bottom. 
that should show us that it's clearly a sign from God. This is not a curtain like you have in your, uh, in your houses, even the thickest, largest curtain. This was a massive, you know, heavy curtain. We've talked about it before, but I'll explain it again. This was, um, this was a heavy, thick curtain that separated, completely blocked off, the central part of the temple called the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Coven, uh, Covenant, which contained the tablets of the Ten Commandments, lay. The only person who was ever allowed into that section was the high priest just once a year who would sacrifice that once a year for the sins of the nation. They were so fearful of God's presence in that place that they would tie a rope around his waist so that when he went in, if God was not happy with that sacrifice and struck the high priest dead, they would not defile that place and they would be able to drag him out, drag out the body. We see with David that when he tried to bring in the Ark of the Covenant at the wrong time and someone slips and touches the Ark of the Covenant, he dies straight away. When you read about the Ark in the Old Testament, when you read about the tent of God and the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament, you realize that to the Jews, this represents God's presence living among God's people. This is God living there, the presence of God. And the curtain being ripped in two represents that God is no longer contained to this place. His presence is available to all of us through the death of Jesus. Not that the Holy of Holies could ever contain God, but it was a symbol that now that model is no longer valid it is meaningless god is available to all of us he's opened the floodgates for all of us to enter heaven we who are christians who are marked with the spirit should be are now able to enter his presence and he will listen to our prayers and have a, we can have a relationship to, with him There's a lot to meditate on this, uh, this passage on this week. Um, remember it when people are mocking you for being a Christian. Remember it when Jesus, uh, you remember Jesus' sacrifice. Remember it when you are speaking to others about what it is that gives you purpose and peace in this life. Let me pray. Father, we pray that uh, you bring home this, this sacrifice that you made for us. Lord, give us strength and courage and words to say and wisdom to know what to say and whether to say it when people are mocking us. Lord, help us to love them as you loved us when we were not Christian to pity them and to reach out to them when we can. Lord, give us bravery and courage to, to know what to say.
when to walk away, when to stand, when to speak. Lord, we pray for your greater glory that we can be witnesses for you. Continue to, continue to fill us with your spirit so that we, are, uh, we have no choice but to speak out for you. Lord, we pray that your spirit is also working in the hearts of those who we would go and talk to, our friends, our loved ones, our families, our colleagues, the people we meet every day, that we can shine for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.